Good morning, Bethlehem Community Church. Uh, it's uh, a privilege for me to, to be here and to, uh, to speak to you from this beautiful surroundings. This is uh, what's called Black Rock Camps in Corville, and uh, they were kind enough to uh, allow me to videotape my messages, uh, which will be coming to you over the next uh, three to four weeks. Um, and so I want to thank them um, for, uh, for doing this. I also want to, um, because I had mentioned this the last time I was with you, and by the way, that's I'm pretty sad about the fact that I'm not going to be able to be with you like I have been for the last couple of weeks, but uh, my, uh, my book just got published, um, and it is uh, a, a commentary in the Book of Romans called The Just Shall Live by Faith. Uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, it's also on Christian book distributors. And um, I sent a, uh, a copy uh, to your new uh, Pastor Andrew as sort of my welcoming him to BCC. And uh, I hope that you'll enjoy the read. <clears throat> There's an interesting book uh, that I read many years ago um, written by uh, Simon Weisenthal. And it's a book called Sunflower, The Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness. Um, Weisenthal was a, a young man working in a Nazi concentration camp as a Jew. And he was called out of formation one afternoon to the bedside of a dying Nazi soldier. The soldier was seeking a, a Jew's forgiveness, really, for his crimes um, in, in the slaughtering of over 200 women and children. And before he died, he, he really believed he needed to be forgiven by one of their people, a Jew. And so in his book, he is sitting by the bedside of this Nazi soldier who has his hand tightly grasped, asking him for forgiveness. And in the silence, Weisenthal pulls his hand away, walks out of the room, leaving this Nazi soldier to die unforgiven. And after stating this particular situation, he asked the question, was my silence and my unforgiveness at the bedside of the Nazi soldier wrong? Or did I do the right thing? He received all kinds of letters from theologians, philosophers, ethicists. Um, and out of the 32 that responded, the large majority, 30 of them actually, said he did exactly the right thing because there is a limit to forgiveness when it interferes with justice. Well, there was a, another Simon who lived many years before Weisenthal, and he also asked a question about forgiveness. He asked Jesus a question. He said in Matthew 18, 2, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Well, time spent with Jesus had really changed Simon his seven times of forgiveness far exceeded the two times of the Pharisees. 
But Jesus' reply was even more incredible. Jesus said, no, 70 times 7. Now, I don't think that means 490. 7 is a symbol of perfection. And I think that Jesus meant that true forgiveness is limitless. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. Let's look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 18. Because Jesus follows his message to Simon about forgiveness with a story. And I want to read this story for you. He said this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. He went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had happened. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy upon your fellow servant as I had upon you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, this is an interesting story. <clears throat> we could probably say once upon a time. Um, a servant owed his master incredible debt. One, 10,000 talents, it's called. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. Basically, this debt was more than 200 years wages. Huge amount of money. It could never be paid back even with several lifetimes. And the master was just about ready to order the servant to be thrown into jail along with his family when the servant fell down and begged him for mercy and said that he would pay him back everything. Now I think that the crowd listening to Jesus' story murmured, yeah, right. There's no way he could do that. But the master was moved by compassion and forgave the debt. Wow, incredible, the crowd said. Now the forgiven servant had a friend who was also a servant 
and who had owed the first servant a few bucks, a few bucks by comparison, a hundred denarii, three months wages. It's not an inconsiderate, considerable sum, but in comparison to what the first servant owed the master, it was like change. Pay me my debt, that first servant said. Be patient with me, and I'll pay you what I owe. Now, what would you expect? You would expect that the first servant who had been forgiven so much would say, ah, don't worry about it. But that's not what happened. The first servant grabbed the second servant by the throat and began to choke him and said, I want you to pay me what you owe, and he finally had him thrown into debtor's prison. I can just imagine what the crowd was mumbling. Well, some fellow servants saw what had happened and they went and told the master who was incensed. He called a few servants in, he called the first servant in and asked him why he did not extend the forgiveness that was extended to him to the second servant and he reinstated the debt and handed he and his family over to the torturers. Now that's the story. Let's pull from it a few points about the nature of Christian forgiveness, which I think would be really important for us to understand. First, that we are told that forgiveness is not earned. We choose to give it. Verse 27 says, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. So you see, forgiveness is not a matter of merit, it's a matter of mercy. Forgiveness is a decision that we make to no longer hold someone accountable for what they have done to us. We are the ones that absorb the cost. Now I could just hear people saying already, well, doesn't the person have to be truly sorry before we forgive them? Well, from what I understand, forgiveness is our initiative. And it doesn't depend upon someone being truly sorry. You see, I, I think we often get forgiveness and reconciliation confused. Forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation because it takes two parties to be reconciled. The nature of forgiveness, however, is such that I can forgive someone who does not want to be forgiven but I can't be in a relationship with that person if they refuse to be reconciled. I think that's where uh, the importance of Paul's counsel in Romans 12, 18 comes in. If possible, Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. However, because forgiveness is given means that we no longer 
need to be held hostage by what other people have done to us. And that we can forgive even those who have died, who have sinned against us while they lived. Because forgiveness is a unilateral choice. It is up to us. Not a matter of merit. It's a matter of mercy. Well, someone else might say, well, it just doesn't seem right. It seems unjust, like I'm, I'm letting somebody off the hook. Like the responders to Weisenthal's scenario. Well, remember, forgiveness is not a matter of justice. It is a matter of mercy. The justice part has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, forgiveness lets us off the hook by putting Jesus on the hook, taking us off the escalator of revenge, it lances the boil of resentment and bitterness. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Well, you might say, well, how do you expect me to forget what someone else has done to me? We don't. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. The master didn't forget the debt. He forgave the debt. In Psalm 25, 7, David prays, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. He wasn't asking God to forget his sin, but not to deal with him according to his sins. You see that even more clearly in Psalm 103 which says God has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Therefore, forgiveness does not mean to forget or to pretend that an offense had not has not taken place. There still may be trust issues involved in the relationship, but forgiveness means that we no longer treat the offender according to the offense. So that first point was forgiveness is not earned, we choose to give it. The second point that we see in our text is, is that our forgiveness of others is an obligation that flows from God's forgiveness of us in Christ. Verse 33, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Reminds me of, of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So Christ's love and God's forgiveness forms the pattern, the, the warrant for our love and forgiveness of others. And I think that what happens often when we get angry and unforgiving is that we become self-righteous and we forget the pit from which we've been digged. We forget that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Having walked according to the pattern of this world, that we were by nature children of wrath and enemies of God. We forget the immeasurable debt that we owe to God, who is worthy of perfect love, perfect worship, perfect obedience. Instead, we have loved ourselves. We have worshiped our possessions. We have obeyed our own appetites and God has every right to throw us into an eternal damnation 
but out of his rich storehouse and mercy in Jesus Christ, he chose to forgive us and to cancel our debt. We of all people should be quick to forgive as we have been forgiven. And I think this is brought out in another way in our text where the master was offended because the mercy that he extended to the first servant was not extended to the second servant. The immeasurable riches of God's forgiveness need to be extended through us when we choose to forgive others. And when we do not, he is offended. His honor is sullied because in reality, it is his forgiveness that we extend to others. Well, the third and, and final point that I see here in this particular text is that there is a price to pay for unforgiveness. Verses 34 and 35. In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, this can be confusing. Is Jesus saying that if we do not forgive, God's going to restore our debt? the debt of our sin, and cast us away from his presence. Is that what he's saying here? It may seem to be the meaning of the text, but it's hard to reconcile with the rest of Scripture, which basically says nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. No one shall ever be able to snatch us out of the hands of God's strong hands. I think the key phrase here is this one. He turned him over to the jailers until he should pay. The term for jailer is the Greek word that Matthew uses in other places in his gospel. The Greek word is jailer or torturer, but it's also used as a verb. It means to suffer torment and buffet. In Matthew 8, 29, when the demon-possessed man asked Jesus whether he had to come to torture them before the appointed time, he used that word. And in Matthew 14, 24, where the boat in which the disciples were sailing was tortured or buffeted by the wind and waves, that word is used here. So who are the torturers? that God will turn us over to when we do not forgive. Could it be that these torturers are the consequences of our own forgiving heart, our own unforgiving heart? Anger, resentment, bitterness that spreads like gangrene through our bodies, minds, relationships, churches, nations, families. These torturers make us sick Physically, mentally, spiritually, they destroy our marriages, they disable our children, they divide our churches, they ruin our ministries. And these torturers rob us of our joy in the Lord 
and the pleasure that comes from serving Him. So it's time to come out of jail, my brothers and sisters. It's time to forgive as we have been forgiven. It is time to release someone from the debt they owe to you. I think of a, a number of incredible examples of, of forgiveness, which, by the way, our culture does not handle well. I think it just back in 2006, in fact, we lived near a place called Nickel Mines here in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, where a man killed five little Amish girls out of school. You drive through that area and there's no more school. There's no remnants of, of that memory. But the Amish forgave him. They donated money to his wife for the funeral and they attended his burial service. Probably one of the greatest examples of forgiveness that I have ever read about comes from the book Unbroken. And it's about Louis Zamperini, who in 1936 became the first American to finish the 5,000 meter run in the Berlin Olympics. Thousands witnessed this race, including Adolf Hitler. And after years of training and success running for the University of Southern California, Lou was at the peak of his life. And then World War II broke out. Louis was stationed in Hawaii and flew rescue missions into the South Pacific. His last mission ended abruptly when his plane uh, experienced engine trouble and went down in open waters, exploding on impact. And with no evidence of survivors, the War Department basically declared everyone killed in action. But a miracle took place, and Louis and two of his uh, uh, flyers were alive. And they lived on a life raft in the ocean for the next 47 days, battling the sea, starvation, sharks, and even a strafing run by the Japanese bomber. Well, Louis and his pilot eventually survived, was captured by the Japanese on a remote island, used as test mice in experiments, surprised to actually survive these experiments. They were moved to various concentration camps for two and a half years. Lou cried out to God, if you are there, let me out of here and I'll serve you the rest of my life. But as days turned into months and months into years, the light of God's presence dimmed against the backdrop of death and starvation. And a sadistic guard by the name of the bird had it in for Lou and beat him up on a regular basis, almost every day. And at one point, Lou's weight dropped to 60 pounds. While the war ended, Lou was thrilled to be alive. He returned to Los Angeles and to celebrity status. He partied almost every night 
and his promises to God about um, made as a POW were long since forgotten. But at the urging of his wife, Cynthia, Lou went kicking and screaming to what was to be Billy Graham's first tent meeting in downtown Los Angeles. After returning three nights in a row, Lou finally gave his life to Christ. He felt compelled to return to Japan and visit the prison guards, including the bird, to tell them that he forgave them because Christ forgave him. No one could ever repay the debt owed to Louis Zamperini, but Lou knew that he could never in a million years repay his debt to God without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So let me repeat this, brothers and sisters. It is time to forgive as we have been forgiven. It is time to release someone from the debt that they owe to you. Who will it be? No, they don't deserve it. But neither did you. Let me pray for us. Father, it is amazing to think about the extent to which you went to forgive us in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would pass on that same incredible forgiveness to others who don't deserve it, just like we didn't. And that you would begin today in our own hearts by bringing to mind someone that we need to forgive. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. And thank you for the beauty of forgiveness when we see it happen. Pray that we might see that beauty happen in our families, in our homes, in our churches, and even in our nation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.